Welcome back to Bricks and Clicks. Today, I'm interviewing Kristen Wiley, the founder and CEO of Orlando-based tech startup, Statosphere. Yes, you heard that right. Not Stratosphere, but Statosphere. And I'm sure Kristen will give us a little bit of info about that name in a minute. But she owns a multi-million dollar consumer-to-consumer marketing platform that helps digital audiences discover brands that they love from people that they trust. Today's topic is influencer marketing, and we're going to learn three things today. One, harnessing what Kristen calls the power middle influencers. Two, her in-house influencer group, and why it might be better to use something like an in-house influencer group versus an influencer agency group. And three, the future of social media. Hello, metaverse. All right, Kristen, welcome. I am so happy to have you on the podcast. Please take a few minutes to introduce yourself. Tell us about your company, Statusphere. And of course, we all want to know why you named it that. So cute. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Um, Yeah, so Statusphere started it actually out of the room that I'm I'm sitting in now. Um, So started out of my apartment while I was working another job and kind of grew it to the point where I could do it full time. So kind of one of those those stories that was a side hustle turned into to a main business and kind of getting to to live out that dream of um, eventually wanting to have a full company and be able to run this. So it's been it's been a very exciting journey over the past few years. Um, But yeah, I named it Statusphere. I went through actually a lot of names. I had the idea for the company um, for probably two years before I even started it. Uh, It was one of those things where it was like, do I have the, the guts to finally like get this started. Um, and I kept just trying to come up with names. So um, I had bounced around the idea, like I went through so many different names and Statusphere just stuck and it made a lot of sense. Essentially, the concept is that, you know, we wanted to focus on what I know will jump into this, the power middle influencer or the micro influencers. Mm-hmm which I truly believe that anyone who can influence a buying decision is an influencer. Uh, so you, they might as well be rewarded for that. Uh, so the concept of Statusphere is, you know, by posting different statuses and also by having status, you could get rewarded for that. Um, so you're just essentially being rewarded for the influence you have um, for influencing buying decisions for the people around you. So that's where the idea for Statusphere came on, came from kind of a fun play on words. Um, so that is so, so cute. So I'm also curious about Orlando. I mean, it is like supposed to be the happiest place on earth. I know my kids have been to Disney. We went to Universal Studios even just last summer, this past year. Um, It is one of my favorite places, but why Orlando for you? Yeah, so um, I grew up in South Florida, moved here later. Um, I mean, I think it's it's a great place to live in terms of everything from cost of living to also just like there's a great culture here. A lot of people don't realize um, Disney is has really monopolized what people think of when they think of Orlando. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's really a lot more it has to offer. Um, I live near more the downtown area, which is shockingly not anywhere near Disney. We're about 40 minutes away. Um, so I always encourage people if they do come to Orlando, maybe to check out some of that uh, area that's the real Orlando versus Disney's actually in a town called Kissimmee. They just are right on the border of Orlando and they call it Orlando. But um, Orlando's really had a lot of things going for it. I think Florida in general, especially in the tech scene lately, um, mm-hmm. has had a lot more interest from you know investors um, and tech startups just because of its cost of living and its flexibility um, um, and tax reasons as well. So I think that there's a lot of, of, of benefits to being here um, and also the weather. So it's a win-win-win. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So I want to ask one more quick question before we dive into our three topics. And that would be, 
what types of businesses do you support? I've seen your website, was incredibly impressed by the brands that you currently have on there as support. Are you, are you currently supporting only large businesses, middle, small? What does that look like? Yeah, so what's great about our platform is we really scale what we call C2C marketing for any type of brand. So we can start small and, and go large. I will say our biggest value comes in the fact that we can scale it. So we can essentially get hundreds of people. We could get 500 people posting about any brand um, in less than 30 days. Uh, so like that's really where our value lies. But we also work with some smaller brands that um, might want to have, you know, different, they're, they're not looking at the scale. They just want some help with their content creation or just somebody to run this for them so that they don't have to really think about it. Um, so we, it really does span, um, you know, from the, the more small, cool startups um, all the way to some of the really big, awesome brands that we work with as well. Um, I, that's one of my favorite parts about my job is getting to work with, with both sides of the spectrum there. Well, perfect. So that launches me into our first question. So a lot of my the brands that I support are small to mid-size. Maybe they haven't quite hit a million dollars or the, they're between maybe one and five and they really long-term have their sites set on mass retail. Mm -hmm. Or some of them only want to do D to C, which is really surprising to me lately. They want to really figure out Shopify and direct to consumer selling. And sometimes the questions that I get about influencers are like, well, you know, how is it impactful if I only use micro influencers? Or like, well, how many times a year do I actually have to do this? Or we'll have some older school, sometimes old white men. This is the question I get from them. And it's like, well, I'd rather just do, you know, one, go big and go home. I need somebody that Beyonce's keeping, you know? So I'd love to hear your feedback on our first question. That's really all around, you know, what about micro influencers? Why are they important? How often should I use them? Why should I use an influencer? Yeah, yeah. So actually the idea for Statusphere came from my background. I was working at a marketing agency running influencer marketing platform campaigns for different brands uh, using a bunch of the platforms that were out there. And I was seeing such great results with the micros that I was like, why aren't there more platforms that are just focused on this? And when I say better results, I, it, it's statistically proven that they have four times the engagement rate compared to the macro influencers. So really? essentially, if you're looking at under 25,000 followers versus over 100,000 followers, um, they have four times the engagement rate which it means if you get a bunch of them posting, you can actually move the needle more than if you get one large one. Now that's not to say that there's not, you can't get good results with larger influencers. You for sure can. Um, but I like to tell brands, especially smaller ones. I mean, you're putting all your eggs in one basket uh, with micro influencers. You're like diversifying your assets, essentially. Like, you know, that some are going to take off and some, some will perform less better or, or more better than, than others. But at the end of the day, if you only got one macro, you're, you're just kind of putting all your eggs in that basket. It's one blip on 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 the sphere. Um, the other benefits of micros uh, is just the fact that you're getting the social proofing. So when people go to your tagged photos, you don't just have one photo of one macro that they know you paid for. You know, you can do gift, gifting collaborations, which are a lot more authentic. You can do a combination and you can see hundreds of people in your tagged photos, which, you know, is a lot harder to deny the fact that, you know, they're liking your product um, and that it just seems a lot more authentic. So I think especially in this world that we are in now where it's so important like people check your social media before buying products i know especially if you're targeting gen z and millennials i mean if you don't see people posting about it is it even a real product um, at this point and if you are picking one of those macro celebrities they know that there's a lot of hand holding and you know they're saying things because they were paid and all of that where micros fall into that more authentic category um and that's really why just even with statusphere we've really 
pivoted it into saying, you know, consumer to consumer marketing, because I do believe it is the best way people learn about products is from other people. Word of mouth marketing has always been the most effective form of advertising and the most effective form of marketing since the beginning of time. And now we're in a world where we can actually like see that almost come to life via social media, uh, since mm -hmm. everyone has their spheres of influence online. I love that. I love that. So one of the questions I get a lot is, well, how often do I need to use influencers? Or like, what's the benefit of having other people create content for you? Yeah, you so think? yeah, user-generated content is huge. I, I think um, I just saw a stat recently that it's almost 90% of brands are using UGC as part of their marketing mix. Um, mm -hmm. And it's not surprising because not only, first of all, do you need so much content as a marketer nowadays, you have your email marketing, your website, <laughs> your social media, your million social media channels that you have to curate content for. So not only is that time consuming to create content for it, but then on top of that, there's studies that show that user-generated content actually performs better uh, than in-house photography and in-house content, which oh, wow. also makes total sense though, because it has that social proof attached to it. It's like when you see an ad of a real person talking about a product, it's like when you see a TikTok, I mean, it's the TikTok phenomenon. Um, if you see a TikToker who look, doesn't look like a model, who looks like a real person posting about a product, saying that they love it and that it works for them, you're going to believe it and convert so much better than a model that's been perfectly packaged to, to talk about the product. Um, so it's, it's that exact concept um, that we're moving toward. And it's interesting because I feel like there's a science behind that, especially when you're trying to advertise to younger people. Like, I don't want to say under 18, but the only thing I could think of immediately was my kids and they are under 18. But a few years ago, um, I would say like just around the time that TikTok started and they, or maybe even it was YouTube and they were consuming a ton of YouTube videos, which they still are. They learned about talkies. They thought talkies were yeah. the shit. Like, mom, I can't go to school and not have talkies in my lunchbox. And they go to a school that's primarily Hispanic as well. So like they wanted to be very cool with their talkies. So I love that we can think about, you know, I have, an, I have another example of a friend of mine who was like, you know, my kid picked out his Christmas shopping like six months ago. He was watching this YouTube video from this guy that's a like BMX biker and he had this awesome bike and then there was an ad attached to it. And so it, he was, my kid, eight-year-old was like showing me exactly where to go buy this bike. And we're older, so we're like fumbling, like trying to figure out, okay, like how do I get to this link? And it was all really seamless. So I, I feel like there's the science behind like how close can you actually get to the consumer that then results into a sale. And I think for a lot of us, especially people that are following me and listening to this podcast, we're still way too far removed. We still talk about doing demos in a store and like the effectiveness of that, right? Where it's, that's not it. It's how freaking close can you get in front of her? How do you get in front of her phone? How do you get on the social channel she's at? How do you get in front of the influencer she's listening to? How do you get in front of the magazines that she's reading online or whatever yeah. that is these days, right? Yeah, and, and honestly, most importantly, how do you get on the channels they trust? So I think yeah. that that, like the trust thing is the biggest uh the, the biggest metric that, that you should be looking for with your marketing because um, Facebook ads, I mean, who trusts an ad? No, no people trust ads. <laughs> There's lots of studies on that. Now, there are studies to see if you've seen the same ad nine, 10 times, then you actually will start converting. Um, but if you see an ad, when I say ad, or you see a placement or you see an influencer posting about a product, the trust factor is so heavy with it. You may only need to see it once to buy it, you know, or maybe two or three times versus the 10 times it would have taken with, with direct ads. So that's what I like to talk about with 
my brands as well is like, you know, although influencer marketing in that category is hard to track, there's so many studies and so many big brands that are so successful that like they understand that and they understand maybe I won't be able to track every single conversion at the end, but overall I'm shortening my, my sales funnel and my, my convincing of people to buy my product because I'm increasing the trust at the different levels of where it's converting. Um, so I just think with, with specifically micro influencers, um, and really just word of mouth marketing, like it's one of the most trusted forms of marketing. So that's why you can really condense, condense that. Like, conversion. well, I love that what you just said, because a lot of questions that I get from my clients are, if I do social media marketing, how soon can I see an ROI or like, how soon can we convert people into a sale? So I don't know that you gave me a stat, but I do feel comfortable now that I could go back to them and say, actually, we can see sales convert faster um, through doing this versus you taking out an Amazon ad, which well, is a lot. And, and I, but it can be a combination too. It's like, Absolutely. um, you know, it's, it's a multi-channel approach. So I like to say like, you know, brands that, that really understand that they know how to use their channels to play off each other to like make, you know, one plus one equal three, you know, and that's really mm. what I think that smart marketers are doing nowadays is they're like realizing, okay, if I have Amazon ads, but like my customer acquisition cost is up here is pretty high. If I pair that with some other brand awareness things, I can help actually bring that customer acquisition cost down. Uh, because now when people go to my social media, they see people tag my photos. You know, it's a it's a multi-channel approach that I think marketers really need to understand in this new like era that we're entering, especially post iOS 14.5 and post privacy updates. Like we need to really shift into to realizing that there isn't like a one channel is, is works for all. It's like, you need to make sure you understand how your channels work together. Oh my God. Side note on that. I know you have a million things on your website, full of free content. Have you blogged about this recently? Cause I want to read more. Yeah, we have a, we, I think I have a few blogs that are coming out, but we had, um, okay. I, I also have a newsletter and I wrote about it in my last newsletter too. So I can, I can give you the link for people to subscribe to, to the newsletter. So I do like perfect. a monthly one where I chat about it. So, okay. Love it. Awesome. Cause all of us need to figure this out. Um, I, I teased a little bit about where, you know, where social media going and hello metaverse. We'll talk about that in a minute. We have one more thing to cover first. So I want to talk about picking the right influencers, right? So in the past, agencies have, I don't even really know how this works, but I feel like agencies have had access to like huge databases full of quote unquote influencers that you can pay to be a part of some big giant program and you don't really know who they are and you don't really know what they post. Um, you have an in-house group. Can you talk to us a little bit about the difference and why that might be more effective? Yeah, yeah. So ours, um, I, I, as I said, my background was working with a bunch of these platforms, which I, I like to call them like the yellow pages of influencers, like they're databases that you can pay for. Um, a lot of agencies use them. So it's literally just a giant database and you can search and you can look people up. Um, so when I started Statusphere, my goal was to create like, how can we actually match brands and um, creators based on more pieces than just like one person, like looking at the person? Like, can we actually do yep. it on data, historical data of how they, they performed, historical data on what the brand is selling and what that creator historically uses. Um, so what we do is we have our network, we have um, influencers that apply to be in our network, we end up accepting about 10% meet our criteria. So each platform, whether it's Instagram or TikTok, or whatever social network, we have a minimum threshold they need to meet in terms of engagement rate, um, in terms of uh, content that they post, all of those things to get into our network. Once they're approved, um, they then fill out a profile and 
that's how we match them with their, their collaboration opportunities. So on the brand side, the brands also fill out their their, their campaign. So it is similar to placing an ad on Facebook. They like fill it out, but it's being cross-referenced with our network of pre-approved influencers. Um, and we're not only matching just on the data points like that that they're putting in there. So we can go to age, geolocation, uh, shopping habits. Um, if it's a beauty brand, we do lots of like skincare regimen. Like if they have acne prone skin or curly hair, we can target based on those things. But then we're also targeting based on like what the creators are interested in. So we're trying to match both ways to make it a lot more authentic. Because the key with my micro influencer marketing, kind of like what I said at the top of the call is like, you have to do it at scale for it to really move the needle. Um, you know, mm -hmm. if you're only getting a handful posting like two or three here or four there, like, you know, where you really get craziness is like you get a hundred, 200, 500 people posting about your product. That's when you really can like, you know, blow the top off of your marketing and really feel like people are like, wow, I hear this brand everywhere. Um, so the system that we've created with Statusphere is to kind of create a programmatic way to match the two um, in a way that still provides the best result for our brands and our and our creators. Feels a little bit like a dating app. It, it, Which, it could be looked at like that a little bit. Yeah. Everything kind of is becoming that, right? Because I feel like we understand that there are chemistry, there's chemistry between a brand and an influencer. There's definitely other criteria that is even more important. Like I, I recently went through a few months ago, uh, actually it was in July, um, a big influencer program that was not successful because the client that I was working with gave each influencer $100 to go purchase stuff on their website. And these were people that were like sort of pre-qualified. And then the website wasn't really fluffed out with enough product to really meet these needs. So some of these influencers were only vegan influencers, only paleo influencers, only gluten-free influencers. And then they'd go to the website and there'd be like two items. Mm -hmm. No, that's actually one of the reasons I created status. I, I was a blogger as well. So I was on a lot of these platforms as an influencer and I would get so annoyed at my friends. Like I'd have vegan friends who would get pitched beef jerky and I'm not, I'm not making up it happens all yeah. the time and then it's like this not only does that annoy the creator but then it's also just you know you're you're creating bad word of mouth really for yeah. yourself if well, you're not like that's your platform things. yeah like, exactly. i can't even post the beef jerky on there <laughs> yeah exactly it's like wasting my time reading this email so we really try to make it like make it a win-win on both sides but i mean you hit the nail on the head it's like you want the the creators need to to also feel like they're being matched properly. So, so that's yeah. something very different with our platform is we, we try to say, you know, we're, we're creator first, like member first, our, our members, we want to make sure that everything they're matched with is like beneficial to them. Um, because like, you know, that's really how we're going to get the best results for the brand. Cause then Absolutely. there's more authentic, you know? So I love it. Are, are there any categories that you don't play in with your influencers? There's so, just so many. Yeah. Yeah. So starting the company, we started out very much focused on female influencers and I would say beauty, uh, health and wellness, um, and lifestyle influencers. And then we've slowly branched out from there. So now we've, we branched out beyond, we, we started with that just from like, uh, kind of like perspective of being able to build, be the best at one thing and then branch mm -hmm. out from there. And also from like a sales perspective, being able to go after cool brands that we don't have people that don't have opportunities on our platform. So now, now our biggest categories are still beauty, um, consumer packaged good is, and, and consumer packaged goods, which those kind of 
bleed into each other. We work with publishing companies. Um, we've even worked with some some tech platforms. We've done like campaigns with like Experian credit scoring tools. Oh, so wow. it really can span. Um, I will say though, our bread and butter and what we do best right now is consumer packaged goods, um, beauty, uh, and like lifestyle, health and wellness category. But as as our network grows, we'll really be able to have people leverage our platform for I think any sort of niche audience. Love it. Okay, we are to our third question. So this one is, where do you see the future of social media going? And how do you think that retailers will and should evolve? And I don't just mean retailers, but I mean even brands. How should we evolve? I think all of us had our eyes incredibly open in just the last few months as Facebook announced their metaverse. I am seeing, I feel like I'm being a little bit brainwashed by Facebook because every freaking where I go, there is metaverse shit everywhere. Like we went to the movies and at the bottom of it was the metaverse logo on like one of the movies that's going to be on the wall. And I'm like, what is happening? And so as a business owner and all the people listening are going to be business owners, I'm like, well, I guess I have to understand this because I own a business and a marketing company. So like, we're going to have to help our brands figure this out. So what is happening? How do we hop into it? How do we, how do we show up in 2022 um, relevant so that yeah. our marketing efforts are helpful and make us yeah. money? I think the, the first thing is, I mean, it's always best to, to keep an open mind. So I see a lot of marketers, like um, when TikTok came out, that was a really good example. We had so many brands. I was like begging my brands to do TikTok campaigns because we were getting, when TikTok first came out, we were getting like one out of 20, 25 videos was going viral. Like that's how mm, easy it wow. was. It was not hard. Um, and I was like, you guys are missing out, you know? And it took so long to convince some brands because they were just like afraid of it um, yeah. that by the time they jumped on, now it's it's, you know, it, it still is a great platform. Don't get me wrong. Like, I still think it, I love it because it rewards creativity over follower count um, versus something like an Instagram. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you missed out by not staying up, up front. So I think that the metaverse piece is kind of similar. It's, it's like, definitely like keep attuned to what's happening. And like, mm -hmm. don't, don't like be uh, jaded or, or like, uh, or like, turn away from it too soon because you can miss out on some really cool opportunities. Um, I've, I've seen some brands getting into the NFT space, super interesting. Um, that's something that I think brands could look into, but at the same time, it's like you also, there's so much to look at. I also am very empathetic as a marketer myself is you need to focus. <laughs> so I think it's like the balance of being open to these opportunities, reading, you know, following blogs, following newsletters that can help you stay on top of those things, but then also making sure that you have your overarching, you know, longer and quarterly and annual strategy planned out where you, you know, you aren't jumping from thing to thing too much, because that's something I also see with, with marketers is they like, don't give anything enough time to actually see if it works. Um, and mm. everything takes time. It's just, it's just, most things are like a snowball effect. So it's like you get, you know, 25 or 30 or even 50 influencers posting in one month, and then you don't ever do it again. Like you may not even see the results from that from a month or two down the road, and then you don't even know what caused it. So it's like, that's where it comes back to that multi-channel approach and like really like having, having a finger on that. And I think that's going to be the biggest change going into 2022 is that you just really aren't going to be able to only do one channel. Because if, if you're only doing Facebook ads, if your CPM keeps going up, you're going to go out of business. It's going to, you're going to lose money on every sale that you make. Um, so you need to really start thinking about it holistically, building that brand, building those returning customers, building those relationships and building that multi-channel like customer acquisition approach. 
Yes. Okay. If you're listening to this and you're feeling hella scared and frustrated and confused because you don't have a marketing strategy at all, <laughs> or you're still only using Facebook, um, I would challenge you to do a few things. One, get on Kristen's email marketing list and read every month when she posts things so that you know what the heck is going on. Two, get on her website, which I will provide links for all of these in the show notes below. Um, read some blogs, get educated. Kristen, how else can people work with you? Like, what are the different ways that you have um, to train and educate us on how to do this in the future? Yeah, yeah. I'll make sure that I share with you the link to the, to, for people to subscribe to the newsletter because that's obviously, that's a great way for super timely information. Yes. Um, and then in terms of our website, we put out um, tons of content every single month. We have hundreds of blogs on our website and guides that are free to download, guides of how to get 30 influencers in 30 days on your own, guides for for PR, guides, guides for all sorts of stuff. Um, so I can give you the link to that as well. But our website is joinstatus.com and then you can click on the resources section at the top and you can see all of that. Awesome. I am so excited about today's podcast. I feel like I've learned so much in the 20 or 30 minutes that we've been together. I'm also a little bit feeling a tiny bit of anxiety, like, oh my gosh, I haven't thought of all these things, but the timing is so perfect. We are literally stepping into a fresh new year. I loved your comments on stick with it for a while when you do formulate your marketing plan. I love to stick with things for a whole year, like six months to a year minimum to see, to course correct, to dive really deep in and learn all the things. Um, one other thing I love to do is get help. I don't believe that business owners should wear 15 hats. And the minute that you make enough money that you can sub some stuff out and contract people for help, um, I recommend that you do that. So I feel like this is a wonderful podcast to get you thinking about this next year, thinking about your marketing plans um, and come up with something that you can sustainably commit to for the next 12 months and imagine where your business can be by, you know, a year from now when we're looking at 2023. Exactly. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for being on today. Can't wait to share all the links with everybody below. Make sure that you check the show notes and start connecting with Kristen. She's a whiz. This was awesome. All right. Thanks. Bye.